0: I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. For this is the day that the Lord has made. Come, let us rejoice in it. I trust you came here excited this morning. (laughs) That you was so excited, so pumped, so ready that you couldn't help but to call Friends, neighbors, others to tell them, you gotta come with me to First Baptist Nacogdoches this morning. (laughs) You have seen, I'm sure, already by now that the title for the sermon this morning is that one word, amazed. And if you really become truly amazed and things you are truly amazed at, you do call your neighbors. You know, yes? You do call your friends. You do talk about it at work. That's just how it works. Although I have to confess, I am completely and utterly confused these days about this very thing. About being amazed. You know, it seems like we can't get amazed by anything anymore, right? Yes? It's just kind of strange. You know, some of you are older. You remember when the first man walked on the moon? And you know, some of the younger are saying, didn't we always do that? You know. um, <laughs> and we're amazed. I mean, if we're sitting overseas, glued to the screen over here, they fit it into the schedule so it wouldn't inconvenience people. But you know, we had to get up like at three in the morning to watch this stuff. Nowadays, amazement continues to be something we should be really, truly experiencing just about every day, and yet we don't. You know, we're now having airplanes where you can have Wi-Fi, that is going to the internet on the airplane and you're going yeah whatever <laughs> and so sometimes you get on an airplane and the internet doesn't work you know some bad weather or some kind of technical difficulties and people saying what kind of bunk is that that's just whatever and i'm going you are sitting in a seat in the sky flying 500 miles an hour across the Atlantic Ocean. You could be amazed. Or <laughs> well, we'll be driving to Nacogdoches, my wife will be driving, and then I'll be on an iPhone, FaceTiming, live, speaking to someone who is on a subway, flying through some big city in, in South Asia, and we're talking. And I apologize. So we're going through an area where the signal is not so good. <laughs> have we lost our ability completely? complete? Then on the other hand, right, this is what makes me confused. I sit with someone and we have coffee. <clears throat> and they take a bite of a donut. And they go, this is amazing. <laughs> I mean, this is like an amazing donut. Have you ever... And I'm going, this is amazing. (laughs) Have you tried to be on the internet in the sky? (laughs) We're just all messed up, I think. And so in the midst of all of that, how do we understand a text from the Bible? about people being amazed. Well, we're going to read one, and we're going to talk about that this morning. I think deep down, and if you look, turn to Luke chapter 4, we're going to read beginning in verse 31. Deep down our... Kind of devaluation of language when we say, this is amazing, when we're just talking about a donut or some kind of movie or some kind of great piece of music that we thought this was great. And then other things that are not so amazing simply may be that we have forgotten what matters we have removed and replaced what is truly important with what is just momentary. Maybe we have confused significance with success. You know when when people come to the end of their lives and all you can say about them is that they had great success. That's about as sad as it goes, isn't it? They didn't have significance. It didn't matter to other than themselves what happens in their lives. We confused some of these things. So let me ask you about faith even before we read this text. Have you come to the point where even the things Jesus is doing have become humdrum? Your faith does not Excite you, what Jesus and God is doing even today is not filling you with amazement. Verse 31 Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Be quiet. Jesus said, Sternly come out of him. And then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. And all the people were amazed. And they said to each other, what is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Amazed. What is your response when you see things happen related to who God is? You know, the word amazed is always in the passive voice in Scripture. And that simply means that it is always a response that you give to something else. You're not causing the amazement, you are amazed. People become amazed when they see other things happen with Jesus. The first thing, if you go back and this morning, I'm just going to walk through like, like I do almost every Sunday, verse by verse, and just look at what does the text really say about this. And the first thing you notice in verse 32, of course, is that they are amazed at Jesus's authority. And at the surface level of this, you know, we began by saying he went down to Capernaum. We talked about that a couple of Sundays ago, about the distinction and the difference between Nazareth and Capernaum in terms of their reception of Jesus as the Son of God. And I'm not going to go back into that, but it is kind of an intriguing matter, even as we're talking about this text the two cities as we mentioned are just a little less than 20 miles apart and the way they receive him is so radically different that it almost works as if we could talk about the two cities as paradigms if you will for our response to Jesus do you live in Nazareth where they didn't care much they knew him well and they just relegated that to, well, we know what that stuff is. That's the son of Joseph. We know that. Or do you live in Capernaum when you see him do mighty acts of God? Jesus went from Nazareth to Capernaum and that became his permanent dwelling place, if you will. The headquarters of, can we call it Jesus Ministries? I don't want to call it that. But you get my drift. From there, his ministry was launched. That was his headquarters until he began the road to Jerusalem. This is an amazing kind of thing. It says that they were... And the way that word amazed is explained, again, we don't get that quite from the English text. And I'm not going to try to do Greek lessons here. But the form of that, the imperfect here, speaks about a state of being amazed. Not just a momentary wow, but a state of being amazed. Living in amazement, if you will. And so how do we understand that word? authority. They were amazed at Jesus's authority. No, I guess normally we think of authority as, as one or two things. One, it is the, the kind of the formal kind of thing we say that speaks of jurisdiction in a way, like the police has jurisdiction to, to arrest you in, in this area, but not in this area or the kind of authority given to you formally because of a certain job or a certain title that you have. You have this authority to make these things happen and do these things. There's another kind of authority, more of like of a personal authority that, that some people have. That is when you speak, you're kind of demand a listening. The strongest example I have of that, outside of my mother, I guess, was a school teacher all the way back in the, in the fifth grade. And I still remember this. This it speaks to how the power of that. He never had to send anyone to detention. He never really, at least I don't remember any time when he had to raise his voice. Nobody showed up late for class. Nobody did not do their homework. There was just something about the way he looked at you. He would just raise his gaze a little bit and someone was, it, it was, he never said anything much about it. We just knew it. It was in the air. It was that kind of personal radiance of authority. I know all the other teachers wish they had that, but he had it. So is that what Jesus had here? Is that what we're talking about? And maybe there's some of that. I'll imagine there's quite a bit of that maybe. But the situation here is much, much deeper than that. The word that we translate authority is the word exousia. And I don't mind you knowing that. That's a good word to know. So you at least learned one or two Greek words this morning. Yes? You can say exousia. There you go. That word is a very powerful word actually and it it comes, it's translated in the Greek translation of the Old Testament is translating things like unrestricted sovereignty of God and it's referred to as exousia of God. And you talk about an unlimited freedom, if you will, an unlimited possibility. And in this text, it speaks to the unrestricted power of Jesus to just tell the demons what to do and where to go. It is a parallel word, at least linguistically, to the word, another Greek word that'll be good to know, dynamis. Dynamis. Some of you want to say dynamite. But dynamis refers to powerful acts that are expressed both physically and spiritually. For example, in nature, we can talk about a great powerful storm, that it has great dynamis. In the same way, the Holy Spirit comes upon people and churches and it brings dynamis power. So whereas dynamis refers to what is brought, then exousia refers to this indwelling power or authority, if you will. By the mere mentioning of something, things happen. And this is a point at which, friends, people are truly amazed At Jesus' authority. And I'm going to ask you point blank, even at the outset of this. Where are you on this? Is it still possible for you to truly be amazed at Jesus' authority? You know, a lot of people just kind of belittle these things. I had a conversation once with, <clears throat> with a declared atheist, a certainly an agnostic. He said, all this nonsense about Christian joy is just, you know, manure. I can't stand it, his words. When these Christians walk around smiling like they have some kind of secret formula that gives them joy all the time. It's just a put on, it's just junk. And I say, oh really, how do you know? Well, it has to be, I never felt like that, really. (laughs) So, you know, what it means to allow Jesus to be truly Lord of your life, to invite him into your life and take over, follow his word as you read it in scripture, to do what he says, to sense his presence when you pray. You know that, and therefore you can speak that that does not create joy. And of course, he looked away and said, no, I haven't, but I said, how do you conclude then? Is it not possible that those who call themselves Christians Know things that you just can't know because you haven't even tried it. See, we let us shut up like that, and we are who have lost amazement, and because of that, we just say, "Well, maybe so." And you know, if you read the book of Daniel, most of you remember Daniel. You remember Nebuchadnezzar, that king whose name we can't spell. And Daniel, of course, comes to Babylon and and we hear the story of, of him being in the lions. And the whole book of Daniel really is about amazement at God's power. Nebuchadnezzar was such a powerful king that he ruled that whole empire called the Babylonian Empire. And the city of Babylon was amazing. You can still see some of the gates in in the Museum of Berlin. Quite astounding, actually. And Nebuchadnezzar got to this point where he thought, I can do all these things. It is all caused by me. He did not pay attention to Daniel's words. And let me just read them to you straight from the text here from chapter 2. He says, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and disposes of them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. And so what happens? It didn't last long after this that God, with a simple word, disposed of Nebuchadnezzar. He gave him a mental illness that we today, modern psychology, call that boanthropy. That means that you think that you are livestock, bovine you will find yourself grazing in the fields like a cow. And that's where you find Nebuchadnezzar in the following chapter. God's own authority is simply underscored by the words spoken in the next chapter, chapter 4, when he says, times Nebuchadnezzar, will pass over you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over kingdoms of men and he gives it to anyone. And let me do an English thing on that. He jolly well pleases. Anyone he desires. Friends, do you live in light of such a God that can truly, truly amaze you. That is your experience, and if it's not, it could be. If that's your experience, your life will come to have significance. It will matter. You will focus on the important things and not just the momentary stuff. If not, you'll find yourself come up short. And you may be sitting around wondering, how come these other people are so amazed when I seem to not be able to find that amazement? You know, the thing about Jesus actually is quite incredible. When you heard other rabbis walk around that time, which was pretty common, Jesus did not stick out uh, in in the crowd. If you just look at it at surface level, he walked around with a group of disciples as a rabbi, and they all did. They bragged about, I have not said a single word without it being something I learned from my rabbi. Some even said, Everything I speak, I have memorized from my rabbi. Jesus did not have to borrow his authority from anyone else. He stands in the sharpest of contrast to this. His own relationship with God enabled him to speak straight from God's heart. Is that your life? This is a real question, friends. We're not playing life. This is a real life question. It truly is. Listen to Jesus as comparison to these, in comparison to these other rabbis. One word from his mouth and he drives out. Demons. He preaches and he says, the kingdom of God is near. He teaches and he says, you have heard that it's said to those of old, but I say unto you. Powerful men fall on their knees at his feet. People leave their home and their work to follow him without question. What kind of authority, what kind of authority is this? Are you amazed? Well, you should be. They were in Capernaum and they should be so in Nacogdoches. It's a real question, friends. The real thing here Is that we claim, joyfully so, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever. We'll all stand in line affirming that, but it doesn't matter that we affirm it if we don't live it. Yes? It does not matter that we affirm it if we don't live it. Are you truly amazed? This is a true question. And again, I, I just want to say, has it created a conviction in your life that makes a difference in how you approach everything? And we're quick to say, Jesus is the answer. And we'll affirm that. But what does that mean if we can't stand amazed and let that radically change everything that his exousia, his authority creates what it mentions. And it takes people who receive him into a new reality, if you will, a new way of understanding and looking at everything. It literally will change your life. Stay with me in the text for a little bit longer if you you will. And look at at verse 33 and the following verses right here and realize that they were amazed at the obedience of the Spirit. You know, we live in the 21st century, yes? And if you have any kind of honesty when you read a text like that you have to say what what's spirit stuff, what's that all about we, we can't feel it sense it taste it, look at it smell it what's this spirit stuff we make a lip service to that because after all we are in church yes but really Can we relate to that in the 21st century? You know, our worldview, the so-called Western worldview, in many ways is somewhat of a popularizing of what we might call an Aristotelian kind of understanding of stuff. He said that, that reality is experienced through our senses. And you popularize that a little bit and sloganesca it a little bit and before you know it, it means that there is no reality outside of what we can smell. We call that empiricism. The sight, the hearing, the feeling, the smell, the taste, and so on. But that, my friend, is quite a truncated worldview. Is it not? We try to use a language so to be demon-possessed, we say, well, we all have our own demons to fight. We all have our dark sides. I'm struggling with this and that personal demon. And we use some of that language. But let me tell you, it is almost impossible, if not totally impossible, to read Scripture and claim if you take it to be the Word of God without admitting that there are spirit powers in there that cannot be reduced to psychological language. And we see that. And when we recognize that, text like this gains renewed power. Now we're not trying to argue obviously that there's a demon behind every bush, right? You know, <coughs> you know, I, I sneeze so I must be possessed by the spear of sneezing. That, we're not trying to say nonsense like that. But just to wipe it all away and say the only thing that is real is what I can feel and taste and smell and see. All the way through human history. You see people trying to work on this and all kinds of cries and formulas have been developed over over the history of mankind, really, on how to exercise these things. And we consider that primitive. We know better. See, Jesus does none of that. And here's why I mention this. Even your personal demon must flee at the word of Jesus. His authority had such power. There is no addiction his power can't heal. There is no trauma his power can't reverse. There is no dark place his light cannot shine. But it's not automatic, friends, and you know that. And it can't be shallow words from people who don't know what they're talking about. It comes from the lips of Jesus. The disciples realized that they learned it and they spoke in his name about an authority. That he has power. And when we lose that amazement, are you hearing me? We stop. Asking for it. I need to ask you again, like I've done a couple of times. So you're living with this amazement. If you do, you have something to say to your neighbors. I really think we are at, at the heart of something here. I read, I read a quote not too long ago. I read the book, but let me just quote from it, written by a pastor in this country, right, who, who had been a, a, a mainline church pastor for 24 years. And he said, My training made me believe that, that all the illnesses of the world, and I'm quoting right here, could be solved by speaking about love and righteousness and, and brotherhood and by doing acts of mercy and social uh, action and and participating in the sacraments and the right kind of rituals. It took me 24 years to confess how burned out and bankrupt I had become. 24 years before I could admit that I longed for someone in the name of Jesus or Jesus himself to speak a word of authority that would set me free from the captivity that I felt I was in. And I couldn't find words to describe. When it happened, everything became different. Everything I did was different. My prayer was different. My Bible reading was different. My my quiet time was different. My service and ministry was different. My love was different. Everything was different. A new and expanded view of reality. Will you hear this? and we're hearing about someone else. Well, let me ask you just point blank. Are you ready to move from Nazareth to Capernaum? You get my picture. you amazed at what Jesus can do. That's what makes people give their testimony. About being set free. About having met the Lord. I'm going to round this. I need to sit down and let me just say one more word, just as a matter of roundup. Last thing you see, verse 37, they were amazed at the effect of the word. Notice the effect and the authority that Jesus had and still has. Two things. People were filled with awe or amazement, if you will, and the news about him came out. That is, my friend, the secret of evangelism. We may talk about it. You may have gone through courses in it. They may have taught you how to do it programmatically, and nothing is wrong with that necessarily. But this is the key. When Jesus' authority fills us with awe, and his heartwarming and convicting rays penetrate us as a church and then as Christians. Not only we, but everyone around us will be awed and they will hear the news about you and it will spread from here and out. Everything will change. Your prayers will change. Your Bible reading will change. Your love will change. Your ministry will change. Your life will change and their rumors and the news about Jesus will come out. Amen. I'm going to sit down. Well, let me ask you to stand and let me ask you to respond. You know how to respond, whether you need to come and kneel right here, whether you need to grab someone's hand and say, I need to recapture that amazement. Maybe we want to join a place that, that says, "We want to be about this. We don't just want to talk about it, that we want that to change our home. Let's stand and let's sing.